Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and guess what? It's now late July. It's the 20th day of July, 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Los Gatos, California, the birthplace of former Atlanta Braves all-star shortstop Jeff Blauser. That's right, folks. It's late July. If you are a contender at this point in baseball, then congratulations. You're about to make it to the final third of the season. It is 11 days. If you are a team, you've got 11 days to unload your big players. Otherwise, you're probably stuck with them. If you are the Tampa Bay Rays, you have a mess of pitchers. Teams need pitchers, and you could probably get gigantic building blocks for the future. But, ah, do you really want to sacrifice Archer Odorizzi more? I thought the Rays were going to be a playoff team because of their starting pitch, and they all seem to have bad luck for this one year. Do you pull the trigger? If you're the White Sox, who have fallen below 500, despite at one point looking like they were going to be in first place and run away with the division, do you trade away stuff and build for next year? If you're the Twins, do you trade everything that isn't nailed down? If you're the A's, if you're the Angels, despite a winning streak from the Angels, they're still fought, you know, more than 10 games under 500 at this point. you got to start thinking about now's the time to make a deal. If you're the Phillies, if you're the Braves, where the Phillies got off that nice start? That's a long time ago, isn't it? The Reds have anything left. The Brewers, you've got Jonathan Lucroy. Teams need Jonathan Lucroy. Pull the trigger. Diamondbacks, pull the trigger. Uh, the Padres have been pulling the trigger. Rockies pulled the trigger. I mean, you're not if you're not there at this point. Yes, I know. Every year there's a team that is mediocre on this point, and they make a big trade. They shoot right to the middle, and they and they some of them make it all the way to the World Series. But you know what? I you know I don't see a lot of teams doing that right now. Now you have the World Champion Royals right now, who are kind of sort of hovering around 500 right now. I thought they were going to have another terrific season. I think they're more than capable of having a great last third of the season. Is it enough to pass and get the Indians? Yeah, I actually think it is. They have two more great months. But you've got to figure out who you are. Now, I know who I am. I'm your pal Sully. And normally... My life and what I want in life, at least in the world of baseball, is really, really easy to find out. I'm really, really not that hard to figure out. I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. I make no bones about it. I don't pretend to be unbiased, but I am objective. I root for the Red Sox. I want good things to happen to the Red Sox. But that doesn't mean if the Red Sox do something stupid or they do something bad, I'm, I'm objective enough to see the reality. I want them to win. When do I want them to win? Every day. My national team is the San Francisco Giants. When do I want them to win? I would love to see a Red Sox-Giants World Series just because I, emotionally I think that would be wonderful because both teams have won recent World Series so the gloves would be off 
between me and my dad in the World Series. But I always want the Giants to win because I want them to win. If it can't be the Red Sox win the World Series, I want it to be the Giants. And because I am who I am, to paraphrase Poppy, Popeye, not Poppy, but Popeye, because I am who I am, I want the Yankees to lose. I don't like the Yankees. And we were going into this 20th where if they had lost, they would be in late July with a losing record. So normally, when I take a look at the scoreboard, you know what I'm looking for. I want a Sox win. I want a Giants win. I want a Yankee loss. And yet today, I am looking at the scoreboard, and I confess I listened to part of the game as well. And I see only one of those three things came through for me. The Red Sox won, but not a giant victory and not a Yankee loss. So why am I so happy? Why is your pal Sully so happy? Because the Red Sox played the Giants. This is the one time I root against the Giants. And I often wonder, it's like, geez, I'm up in the Bay Area now. I'm surrounded by Giants this and Giants that. I'm always thrilled when the Giants win. I was thrilled when they won the World Series in 2010, in 2012, in 2014. I picked them to win the World Series in 2016. I would love to, if it can't be the Red Sox, I would love it to be the Giants. I don't care, you haters. Yeah, I make it four championships this decade for the Giants. That would be fabulous. And yet here we are. The Red Sox played the Giants, and it wasn't even a moment of hesitation. I was rooting for the Sox. And the Sox jumped ahead. They got an early home run. They got a three-run homer by Big Poppy. You know, Jake Peavy didn't pitch a bad game for the Giants. He only allowed four base runners over a six, uh, I think it's six and a third inning or six, whatever it was. It was a decent outing. The problem for him was that all four of the base runners that he let on came around to score. One on the solo home run and one by the three-run home run by Big Poppy. So it wasn't that they smacked Peavy around. He did okay. But the fact of the matter is the Red Sox got the right hits at the right time. The Red Sox only got four hits the whole game. The Giants out hit them five to four. You know, the, the Giants uh, only walked. There was only one walk. Peavy pitched okay. He just let up two home runs, and that's all you need to know. And, the you know, the, the Red Sox rotation and the bullpen, you know, didn't let them score the whole damn game. They got the home run by Holt, the home run by Ortiz. Boom. That's all they needed. The Red Sox won. And the Giants lost. Now, while, look at I don't want to see the Giants lose. I think I have to lose, I might as well lose to the Red Sox. Yes, the Giants have stumbled out of the gate after the All-Star game. They got swept by San Diego. And I have to say that if they had that last game where Edwin Jackson was taking a no-hitter into the seventh inning and... Um, I forget who it was. Someone was it Gillespie? Someone hit a home run, and that was the Giants' first hit. And suddenly, a four nothing game became a four three game, uh, and the Padres went on to win that game. I have to say, if the Padres had to win that game, I wish that Edwin Jackson completed the no hitter, 
for two reasons. First of all, it would have been Edwin Jackson's second career no-hitter. And I love it that someone like Edwin Jackson just had a long, bizarre career would be have multiple no-hitters. And the first no-hitter he threw when he was a member of Arizona was a really, really ugly no-hitter with lots of walks, a high pitch count. It was one of those like, yeah, he it was a complete game shutout. Yeah, he it was a no-hitter. Uh, did he pitch well? I guess. I mean, he threw a no-hitter, but it was a mess. Uh, I would love for him to have be, have multiple no-hitters. It also would have been the first no-hitter in the history of the San Diego Padres, and it would have been nice to see that. But Giants are on a four-game losing streak, and as someone who wants to see San Francisco win the National League pennant, I'm not too concerned. Yes, the lead is now down to four and a half over Los Angeles. And like, oh my God, if they keep falling, if they keep falling. Clayton Kershaw is probably not going to come back this year. How do I know that? Well, because of the news about Clayton Kershaw. The news that, let me, let's go to MLBreports.com, where they talk about how uh, Kershaw, I'm going to do this as an article written by Alex Putterman, where it says the Dodgers were hoping that Kershaw's back would heal in time for him to come back this week. And instead, he had a bullpen session that there was a lot of back pain and he didn't pitch well and he probably won't pitch. He probably won't even throw from, from a mound for a little bit until his pain goes away. Well, it's late July. And I think it's safe to say he's not going to pitch in July. So we'll get to August. And if they're not going to pitch him unless he's at full strength and they know that they're not going to cause additional harm because he's the franchise. So if you remove Clayton Kershaw, even though the Dodgers have played quite well in Clayton Kershaw's absence, that's in a small sample size. For a third of the season to not have the best pitcher in baseball, the chances of them catching San Francisco are slim to none. So even though they've stumbled out of the gate badly, the Giants, getting swept by San Diego and losing to my Red Sox, where their best-case scenario is splitting, I really, really don't think the Giants are in big, big trouble here. So as someone who is a Red Sox fan first and a Giant fan second, I think that this is not the end of the world. I think they can absorb this loss because of what I think the long-term effect of L.A. is going to be. I think the Giants are still, look at, as I'm recording this, the Giants still have the best record in baseball. Even with a four-game losing streak, they still have the best record in baseball. They are tied in the loss column with the Chicago Cubs. But when you have the best record in baseball and the team that's chasing you is going to remove their Cy Young winner, do you know what? I feel okay about your chances. Now, the Red Sox won in a big part because Rick Porcello is now 9-0 in Fenway Park. Now, I know we're not supposed to look at win-loss records, but do you know what? It helps my mind psychologically that he's 12-2. 
that his record is 10 games above 500, which means he at least comes on the mound and pitches well enough for the Red Sox to win that game. His ERA is a respectable 3.47. And the performance by Porcello, who's having a fine, if not great year, than a fine year, points out something that we all have to remember from time to time. We are all quick to judge things based upon their first impressions, based upon how we reacted to them initially, based upon how they first came out of the gate. And that sometimes you have to take a different point of view. Porcello, in his first year with the Red Sox, was terrible. And there was this sort of ghostly specter to this rotten player, Porcello, who just was terrible in 2015. And that was, he was what the Red Sox had left over for John Lester. They couldn't re-sign Lester to the long-term deal. They swap Lester out and they get Ioannis Cespedes. I think, okay, well, bye Lester, I love you. I'm a huge Cespedes fan. Cespedes in Boston, this is pretty great, this is pretty great. Suddenly, he's flipped for Porcello. He goes to Detroit and they get Porcello. I'm like, oh crap. I really wanted Cespedes on this team. Why did we trade Cespedes? And then we got Porcello, and Porcello, like, well, maybe, maybe he's going to be good. All right. He's the spoils of John Lester. And they immediately signed him to a long term deal. Like, Shouldn't you see if he sucks or not first? Oh, he sucks. He sucks. His first year was terrible. Meanwhile, John Lester was putting together a wonderful year with Chicago. And Ioannis Cespedes became the darling of Met fans, and the Red Sox were stuck with Porcello. It was like a game of deal or no deal, and we picked a suitcase that had five bucks in it. And someone else, the other, the other people picked like, oh, I got 200000 I got 500000 I got five bucks. Porcello. I was starting to call him Darko Milicic. Remember when they had that draft where there was LeBron James, there was Dwayne Wade, there was Carmelo Anthony, uh, I think there was Bosch, there was like there was all these superstars at the top of the draft. The Pistons picked second, and they picked Darko Milicic. Whoops! Whoops! I wonder if Carmelo Anthony would have been better in Detroit. I wonder if Dwayne Wade would have been better. Whoops! Well, that's how I felt like with Porcello. Because of how he played last year. Well, he's pitched quite well this year. Thank you very much. And because he's in control, the Red Sox don't have to worry about him going away. Having him pitch has been exactly what the Red Sox needed, especially with the uncertainty of David Price in the rotation. So sometimes you have to judge things not by the first impression, but by how it unfolds later. Josh Beckett, his first year with the Red Sox, was terrible. His ERA was over five. He had a decent win-loss record it was because they, the 06 Red Sox hit the snot out of the ball. And it looked like, oh, man, they got this supposed ace from Miami, and now he stinks. Or Florida. They were called Florida again. Forgive me. And he stinks. Well, guess what? The next year, he put together a Cy Young caliber season, and they wound up winning the World Series. And he was a huge reason why they did. I know it ended badly for Josh Beckett in Boston, but do you know what? A huge reason why the Red Sox won the World Series in 2007 was because of Beckett. And if you judged him solely by his first year with the Red Sox, you said, oh man, this guy was a bust. This guy was a dud. But he turned out to be 
deliver in a big-time way. And we're starting to see that with Rick Porcello. Maybe the Red Sox would have... Maybe if they didn't win the trade, then maybe they didn't totally lose it either. Now, speaking of losing it, the Yankees did not lose. So why am I not mad? Why does that not anger me? Well, it's twofold. First of all, with the the fact that the Red Sox defeated the uh, San Francisco Giants in a loss that I think the Giants will absorb. Uh, the Red Sox are now tied in the loss column and only one half of a game behind the Baltimore Orioles because the Orioles defe- were defeated by the Yankees. Now, normally I'm not rooting for the Yankees. I'm not necessarily rooting, I'm rooting against the Yankees. I'm not necessarily rooting for them now. But if the Yankees have to win, and somewhere along the line they will win, I would rather they win against Baltimore. I would rather they win that game. They're on a three-game winning streak. I said a few days ago they have to win out the next three games to get to late July with a winning record. Well, they did just that. They helped the Red Sox out. If the Red Sox win tomorrow and the Yankees win tomorrow, guess what? The Red Sox are in first place by themselves. Thank you very much, Yankees, for the help. Your prize is the Giants are coming into town to play the Yankees, and maybe the Giants well, on a little bit of a losing streak, the law of averages say that things have got to change. Maybe that's exactly what's going to happen, and the Yankees get clobbered by the Giants, and I have absolutely no conflict about that. But there is something about the Yankees now having a record above 500 that kind of makes me chuckle right now. Remember what I said at the beginning of this podcast? Remember when I said this is the time... You have to figure out what you are and who you are. And are you going to go for it or not? Because now is your last chance. Most Yankee fans that I interact with are all but begging the team to start selling some of their players. Because they don't see this team being a real pennant contender this year or next year. So why not get this project going? Real good fans understand that. They don't say stupid stuff like, New York fans will never tolerate a team that's less than a champion, and they will always need big stars. You can't rebuild in New York. That's hogwash. The worst kind of team you can have in New York is a team filled with aging veterans associated with other teams. New Yorkers hate teams like that. They would much rather see a young team that could be built up from the ground and that eventually use your money to keep them together. But with the Yankees now above 500, I'm sitting there going like, they're one game over 500 right now as I'm recording this, as are the Kansas City Royals, the defending world champion Kansas City Royals. They have identical records. The Yankees are six and a half out of first. The Royals are eight games out of first. And in terms of the wild card at this point, both of them are four and a half games out of a wild, the second wild card spot, four games in the loss column. So you could very easily rationalize, hey, we're still in it. If Kansas City is still in it, then damn it, we're still in it. Why would we trade away our players? Why would we wave the white flag? Should the Royals wave the white flag? And of course, there's some that'd be a ridiculous comparison because they're two teams that are constructed quite differently. 
the chances of the Royals going on a big run in the second half is much greater than the chances of the Yankees going on a similar run. And yet, a victory like today not only helped the Red Sox in the standings, but may put that seed of doubt in the front office mind and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're above 500. If we make a run at that second wildcard spot, and maybe, just maybe, that's what we'll need to kickstart this season. And that's, of course, delusional and insane. The Yankees have to trade some of these players while they have value. I mentioned this the other day. Sabathia, Nova, um, uh, Miller, Chapman, McCann, Beltran. That's six players that you can deal and get one good young player in exchange for all of them. You know, that's adding six good young players to your system. That's what they have to do. And if this recent winning streak will make them gun-shy to do that and help bring the Orioles back down to earth, then I can say, man, I can say a sentence I don't say often, which is, man, I'm glad the Yankees won that. We got Red Sox-Giants again tomorrow. I hope the, the Giants lose that game and don't lose another game the rest of the way. I hope the narrative at the end of the year is the two-game sweep by the Red Sox were exactly what the Giants needed to kickstart their season or blah, 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 blah. They already have the best record in baseball. What I'm saying is baseball does weird things to your loyalty and your sense of priorities. But do you know what? Life is filled with choices where you think, oh, I always do this, but now I have to do that. I have to make a choice between this passion and that passion. This thing I feel good about and that thing I feel good about. There's not much of a game for me. It's, I'm always going to pick the Red Sox. But if everything goes according to plan today, Giants lose to the Red Sox, and then the Orioles lose to the Yankees, then I need the Yankees to go on a nice losing streak have it be at the hands of San Francisco, and we can get back to rooting for the teams that I always know I'm going to root for and against. So go to sullybaseball.com. Go to mlbreports.com to see the updated listing of who owns baseball. You can go to YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that crap. I'm there. If you want to send, be an old-school person, send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. Feel free. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Just fiddling around with expectations and things that we want. This has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast for late July, the 20th of July, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. <laughs>